Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. And welcome back to Why Though. So pumped you are here. Now here's the thing, folks. If you have not listened to part one with Dr. Amy, I need you to pause this episode, Mm -hmm. go back, listen to part one, take a real back, and then you can (laughs) hop right back in to part two. But you are not going to want to miss the scaffolding and the foundation that was laid in part one before we really build the second level of part two. So go ahead and do that. But if you have listened to part one, you are, you've been waiting all week for this. So we are here. We are excited to learn more uh, from Dr. Amy Kinney. My goodness, what does this woman not do? She is a professor at UC Riverside of all things Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. She is an advocate for our houseless neighbors. She is a disability advocate. She is a leader and a speaker and an activist and really leading the church in this cultural moment on what it means to see the whole body of Christ included our abled and, and, and disabled friends. So, so excited to have you back, Dr. Amy. Well, the two of you are just the best. So thanks for having me again. This is so cool. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Amy, last week we talked, we ended with this dots that you connected connected for us that our need can lead to shame. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, I think so many of us have been discipled into independence and ableism. Say a word. And really, we've been taught that. I mean, the two of you need to come with me wherever I go. We will. This is oh, so affirming. Number oh, one fangirl, number we, one hype girls. We would sit on the front row and yes and amen oh everything gosh. you say. We would bring posters. <laughs> we would. We would yes. have war paint on our face. Yes, correct. I'll just have to picture that. I'll, I'll put that on my vision board. Yes. Please. So we ableism. Yeah, ableism is a system that places some bodies over others and some minds over others. And it's connected to everything from our ideas of normalcy to intelligence to what to productivity. And I think we can see how it's also connected to anti-blackness, racism, transphobia. If we're saying that certain bodies have more value or certain body minds are better than others, then that's going to harm a lot of people. And for this conversation, particularly disabled people. Right. So I think then even if we're not disabled, when we have any needs, we have been taught to internalize the shame of that because we've been taught that that is directly connected to how worthy we are of care and Mm. how worthy we are of love and belonging. (sighs) I mean, just the phrase, how worthy we are of care. I mean, I could, I feel like I could sit on that and think about it and really unpack that and look back on my life and find the moments where I felt unworthy of care. And I think that that's a really powerful, important concept. And I can see how that compounds with race or gender Mm -hmm. or ability. Mm -hmm. And I, do you think that part of the reason 
people are so resistant to the needs of others or just accepting that they're there because I feel like sometimes we try to jump in and fix things. Like that's also a part of the system. You're trying to fix everything towards perfection and you're trying to fix everything to make it better or you're trying to assist someone who didn't ask for your help or, you know, I feel like we're just jumping in in all the wrong places because of our needs and because of our shame. Um, So can you speak to that too? That wasn't really a clear question, but just some random thoughts I had off of that idea of who is worthy for care and you know, do you think that the reason, here's the question, here it comes, you guys, are you ready? Do you think that part of the reason we hate our needs so much and then are resistant to the needs of others is because of that shame we feel? Yeah. Yeah. You know, scripture tells us that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And most of us don't love ourselves. Right. So no wonder we don't love our neighbor. We have internalized this idea that we are less than anytime we have a need or anytime we have a desire and we are constantly on the hamster wheel of performing how worthy we are that we have to post on instagram or comment on twitter or you know just um, send out a christmas newsletter (laughs) to prove (laughs) what we're up to and how that is worthy of us being accepted in the communities that we want to be a part of right think this works out for me as a disabled woman when people come up to me and um, you know either pray for me without asking or without my consent or Mm. uh, they assume that I don't want to be disabled or they'll just push my wheelchair from one side of the room to the other Mm. not recognizing oh I'm sitting in that and I might not want to be moved it's that idea of patronizing and infantilizing thinking that someone is less of a human than you are. And so therefore, Mm. you know better than them what they need. Mm. Mm. Wow. I think the construct that we live in, especially, I mean, I I feel like, I hope this is okay to say, but especially in the Western world, this performance, as you said, hierarchy, what makes the most money, what looks the most polished. We we're constantly looking up of like, who's above us? How can we reach that? And Ashley and I have talked in the past of how, especially in the past 30 years, how TV has veered toward the rich and famous. And that's what we're fascinated by. Mm -hmm. So there's all the eyes are looking up of like, how can I get to the next level rather than looking around us or looking, looking to those who might not have anything to advance our agenda, but our job is to be here and love and be present. And that is so against the American way. That's so against the Western way to simply be present because that's not productive. As you said, Dr. Amy, why would we, why would we celebrate the ordinary when we could celebrate what looks capable of worth? Like, Oh no, we're only celebrating that because they have done something great or they've accomplished something. So I think, this this world we live in has this culture that we live in has seeped into the church and now the church says faster stronger better and if you're not then what are you doing with your life <laughs> what are you right doing? and i that, think that is just eating away at our understanding of love because we've made yeah. everything so conditional totally yeah. and we want a magician not a messiah uh oh! Oh come Boom. on! Oh wow! She she's, yeah, she showed this. Yeah, we want thought. a quick fix. It we want a, a pill. We want <laughs> a magic trick to polish our lives into influencer ready instead of the slow, messy pace that Jesus operates at. Gosh, yeah. 
I mean, it just couldn't be more true. I, I don't even know how you work yourself out of that. You know, there is, especially for people who were raised in churches like that, like, what is that process to unlearn that God is not a, ma- a magician, that he does not exist to just meet our needs? And f- I mean, he does meet our needs, but to, to do what we want. He doesn't exist for that. And he doesn't exist like a genie in a bottle. And we say our prayers and, you know, then he does the five things we want him to do. And, you know, how do you kind of unlearn all of that? and engage with God in a more real and human present way. Yeah, it's it, it's tricky because if you have grown up in a system that has taught you that and then your life so far has mapped onto that and you have been you have been non-disabled, you have had your prayers answered in the way that you want, you know, those kind of elements. I think it can be tricky to learn the hard life lessons of that's not really what prayer is. It's not as limited as a vending machine. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ways that we get out of that toxic theology is to listen to disabled people in our communities Mm -hmm. and to learn from their wisdom instead of trying to just fix them or trying to teach disabled people lessons about this magician God. Maybe learn from the lived experience of disabled folks. Exactly. And I think even worse, painting them out of the picture altogether. Right. We, we, we want things to make sense and we want A plus B to equal C. And just as you have said so perfectly and so eloquently that that's just not how life works. That's That's not how life works. We're setting ourselves up for such disappointment in the, in understanding who God is when we do. Right. I love the way your book is laid out too, because, you know, after every chapter you do a reflection and a response, which I love that. But then you also have a top 10 at the end of every chapter. And what made you want to include those? Because I think they they are fascinating and interesting and deeply convicting um, for people who are not disabled to read these and understand you know, how we sound, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. words that are coming out of our mouth, how they actually sound to others. So tell us about that top 10, because I think that's connected here. I wanted to add a little bit of levity to the book. I realized that reading about a lot of my trauma in churches and elsewhere in my life and a lot of the ableism that I've experienced can be really heavy. Right. And I wanted that to be a lightness and also use humor as a tool to invite people into what my life is like. Right. And I I wanted to make it clear that it's not cool to say any of those things to disabled folks. So there are lists of remedies people have recommended to me to not be disabled. Everything from sleep with a bar of soap to hit your leg with a hammer. And they're absolutely absurd. And that's kind of the point is... I am experiencing that on a daily basis and I don't want to shame people in telling them, don't say that, that's harmful, you look ignorant. Mm. I think all of those things are true, but I think a more inviting way that smells more like Jesus to me is Mm. to use humor and lightness to convey that same message. Mm. <laughs> Smells like Jesus. I love that phrase. That's what are you, awesome. a walking freaking poet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> so 
good. I mean, it's just so good. And, and I just want to, I just want to say thank you because we, we need to be learners and listeners and, and you're giving us an on-ramp to do that. And yes. shame doesn't make for a good start in the classroom. And so giving us an on-ramp to learn and get, get familiar and sit at someone's feet without feeling like, oh man, I just, I stink at this. I'm never going to get this right. But yeah. And, and you're a teacher, <laughs> you're a professor, yeah. this is how you do it. But yep. um, bringing that same discovery, guided discovery to to your work is, is truly a blessing. Thanks. Yeah, and I, I get too that people are busy and there's lots going on in the world. Everything is overwhelming and exhausting. And so mm. sometimes learning about ableism can feel like, oh, that's just one more thing that I now have to do or have to watch out for. And instead, I want people to be invited to the joy of getting to celebrate our disabled neighbors and the gift of getting to learn with and from them instead of it mm. feeling like a burden. Right. Ooh. Yes. Um, would you unpack this statement that you wrote? The church has forgotten that we worship a disabled God whose wounds survived resurrection. I found that to be so profound. And would you would you help us understand um, that perspective and that rich, rich view of God? Yeah, I picture Jesus as disabled. I think Jesus is disabled on the cross, physically impaired. He's sweating drops of blood and nailed to a wooden stake. He has been brutally whipped and punched and harmed. And he's also disabled in a social sense. He has the stigma of a person being crucified in the ancient world. And then when he's resurrected, we see that Thomas is trying to gaslight the women, telling them, no, that didn't happen. I don't believe it until I see Jesus's wounds. And Jesus rocks up and says, put your hands in my side, look at my wounds, and blessed are those who haven't seen and believed. Mm. And I think that image of Jesus's wounds surviving resurrection is really important because we usually don't call Jesus disabled because we've hmm. separated that word from characters and people in scripture. But mm. Jesus is disabled there. He's disfigured. Mm. And that's the only example that we have of an imperishable body, of a body that has survived resurrection. Mm. And I think it's really important because it tells me that my disabled body emulates the crucified Christ. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. And it tells me that, you know, if you, I, I receive so often from people who are well-meaning this idea that, oh, you'll be fixed in heaven. You'll be whole in heaven or you'll be human in heaven. Mm. And if you can't picture heaven or new creation without disabled people, then Jesus can't be there. Mm -hmm. Is that a heaven we want to be a part of? I mean, I feel like people's brains are exploding right now <laughs> in all the right ways, in all the good ways, in the ways that you, you know, that that old school rhema word where you hear something yeah. and it deeply resonates yeah. and connects and you can't like once you see it, you can't not see it. That's right. And I'm I'm curious what you would say to people who might be really trying to bridge that gap from thinking that the only way 
to interact with someone who is disabled or hurting or um, dealing with mental illness or struggling with an issue is to have it miraculously healed from God and that that is what God's will is and that there is no other way. I mean, I'm just trying to anticipate what people might be trying to to wrestle with. What would you say to them? How can mm-hmm. they bridge that gap of understanding, even, even a tiny step that you'd encourage people to take? Yeah, I would say... I would say, oh, friend, you know, I get why you feel that. And what if healing is more expansive than that? Mm-hmm. What if healing is more miraculous than just what happens with our bodies? What if it has the power to take down powers and principalities and create new systems where we all get to flourish? Mm. A lot of times when we think about an individual body being fixed or cured, it's located so much in that sense of individualism and less in the idea of co-flourishing and less in the idea of community. And I would also probably point them to Paul and the way that Paul talks about the fact that it's in his disability God's power is made manifest and Mm. God's power is on display. And a lot of times that word is translated as weakness, I think incorrectly, but maybe instead of trying to change disabilities, we should think about what we can learn from them and we should think about how God is already at work through them. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, I really appreciate this idea that healing could lead to systemic change Mm. and making spaces where all can flourish rather than that individual healing that we want for the other but instead the healing could involve us changing our minds and perspectives and thoughts and practices and the way we live to ensure all can thrive i think that is so central to the value of why though and what we want our listeners to grasp onto i think if ashley and i leave all of this behind our biggest hope is that we would understand that we belong to each other and that we are not independent but autonomous to work together so all can flourish. And I love that you painted that picture of what healing could be because we have such a limited view of healing. That's right. Such a limited view of healing. But when we see Jesus disabled on the cross and we see even in his resurrection, as you said, the scars were there, we wouldn't have what we have unless he had that moment, unless he had that experience, that disabled Mm. time on the cross. And so I think that is such a powerful, and here we are, um, listeners, we're recording this on Good Friday. So I feel like my cup overflowing with that perspective of Good (laughs) Friday. Okay. Yes. Um, I don't need to know anything now. That's enough. (laughs) Uh, um, But to see we have what we have and we have this understanding of the kingdom because of Christ's role and the disability, just as you said, um, that's present all the way to the resurrection. So, Dr. Amy, what an investment into Ashley and I and into our audience sharing that perspective. Yes. 
Oh. I have um, one story I want to share that makes me think of this, and it's not a story I'm proud of. Um, and this was this didn't happen with a person who was disabled, but with someone who was 20 years older than me, so had significant. I was in my mid-20s, and so they had a lot more challenges. They were dealing with back pain and just had a very slower pace, slower way of talking, slower way of being. And this person generously invited me to go to a conference with her. And we stayed in the same hotel room together, and we were actually on an afternoon break um, at the conference. And I remember thinking to myself, I have never seen anyone get ready so slowly in all of my life. And I remember getting such a rebuke from the Lord at that time. Um, One, because he was like, where are you going? You don't have any plans this afternoon. Why are you in such a hurry? Why are you rushing so hard? And it makes me tear up to think about it because You know, I just wanted her to go at my pace and I wanted her to move like me. And I think about it now. And there are plenty of times I do this to my children and I drag them along, (laughs) but they are smaller and their attention spans are different. And the way that they connect is different. And I think about all those times that I have wanted someone to be like me. So it would make my day go faster. It would make things more efficient. It would make things go better. And I wouldn't do that and have not done that to someone who was disabled in my life. But I think about all the times that I do that to someone who has a different pace, a different rhythm, a different idea of what success is, a different desire for an outcome. And I have felt so much shame when people have pushed me beyond my borders and pushed me beyond my capacity and rushed me to keep up with them. So one of the things I'm thinking about in our conversations that we've had with you, Amy, is that is this idea that you've talked about today of community and recognizing that our way is not the way yeah, and that our way of moving and being and breathing in the world is not the be all end all and that we need to make room for one another in our different lifestyles in our different seasons of life. I even think about how how much less my capacity is now with having three kids under seven. I mean, Amy, you know that because I've had to cancel (laughs) on some some dinners and reschedule because, you know, the kids got sick or something happened or I couldn't get a sitter. And, you know, I think that those are the things that we want to do better. That's what it means to be a good neighbor is to recognize that my way is just a way and that I need to hold better space for others who have a different pace and a different way of doing things. And um, I need to relax and lean into it rather than speed it up and strive and push. And I need others to do that for me. And so I just really appreciate the tender space that you open up, not just for us to better understand those who are disabled, but for us to better understand those who are different. Yeah, totally. And what I hear in that too is maybe even some lingering fears of, well, I don't, I don't want to be moving at that slow pace. Right. And I think that too is really underneath the surface when people are approaching me with these prayers or potions or curative remedies. It's a fear that they too will become disabled one day. Mm. And say more. You know, I think about perfect love casts out fear and what if we loved our neighbor enough to cast out the fears that we have of moving at a pace or acting in a way or becoming disabled all of those things that maybe we're afraid of deep down but we don't want to actually admit right and what if we loved each other enough to be able to cast out those fears right 
Oh, can you imagine how much better we would all be mentally and emotionally if we did create safe space for people to do it different, to go slower, to be where they are. I feel like we would be so much better at growing together and being together. Um, Yeah. It's a beautiful picture that you create for us, Amy. Mm, I love that, that idea, Amy, of don't, the goal isn't don't be like me. Let us love each other as Christ invites and let us flourish together. Let us commit to flourishing together. Yes. Uh, It's an about face, such a 180 from the selfish nature we all have within us. And it's, 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 it's a reminder that we're participants in our own becoming that we don't get to just have this mental furniture of, I love God and that's enough. And I love the Lord. No, there is such an ongoing redemption and resurrection necessary in all of us. So we can ensure everyone has space to thrive. Dr. Amy, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you an absolute pleasure. And we are so excited that others get to continue learning from you through your book. My body is not a prayer request available wherever books are sold. Um, where else can folks find you, Dr. Amy? Sometimes I'm on Instagram at Dr. Amy <laughs> Kenny. <laughs> Sometimes not because, you know, you have to have some self-care and whatnot. Amen. So, And that's yes. not the place to do it. I'll tell you what. <laughs> exactly. God forsaken. Anyway, but we'll look for you there. What <laughs> Anywhere else. And then on my website, which is amy-kenny.com. And on there, there's resources and different ways to be practicing including disabled people in your communities just to take it kind of from the abstract into action yes and if there's like one book i would recommend to every human to read it would be this one and especially if you are a ministry leader or a pastor or you just love your faith community but notice that it's not as open and welcoming this is what you need do a book club do a small group take people through it buy a copy for every single staff member at your church like make sure that people have this book in their hands and you absolutely will not regret it and amy thank you for being who you are in the world and making us all rise with your gentle tenderness and your fierce love and your wonderful humor we appreciate you and love you Wow. Thank Thank you you so much much for having me. It's been a real, a real gift. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Why the listeners? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit tiffanybloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit ashabercrombie.org. See you next week.